What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to The M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of M. Night Shyamalan. I'm AJ Gonzalez. Hello, and I'm Brian Connolly. Welcome. This is going to be a fun time. It's getting ready for episode two, where we are discussing Shyamalan's second film, Wide Awake from 1998. So we're still not at The Sixth Sense. People are like, well, his second movie must have been The Sixth Sense. Nope. There's still one more movie before you get to that. (laughs) Uh, The world wanted to keep that a secret, but we're unearthing the secret that there are two movies that exist before his big breakout hit. Yes. Um, (laughs) And according to IMDb and Wikipedia, this movie was actually filmed in 1995. Oh, so that answers for the gap, because we were wondering in the last episode, why did he make this movie in, was it, 93? Uh, 92. 92, and then you don't have this until 98, but actually, he probably went into pre-production pretty soon after touring whatever few festivals he showed Praying with Anger at, because it takes forever to make a movie. So I'd imagine that he must have started this in like at least 90, you know, 3, 94. And then the Weinsteins, classic Weinsteins, shelving it for three years. Yes, yes. Something the Weinsteins <laughs> are known to do with uh, <laughs> films like Prozac Nation. Most of the films that Harvey Weinstein shelves when they finally are released usually aren't that good. Yeah, he's just, he may, maybe he was like, oh, is that what the movie is? Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, well, we'll just keep it around until we feel there's like a window where we can just dump it. <laughs> so, do they do that anymore? Like, do they hold on to things? I mean, the Weinstein Company isn't a company anymore. What is, what is it they do now? Uh, what, is their, what are they behind? I don't know. I thought the Weinstein Company... Well, oh, but like, like, isn't Miramax is over? Yeah, Miramax... You know, that's dumb. Is this was a Miramax thing. Yeah. So isn't it just called like Weinstein? Now it's just company the Weinstein or, Company. Why did it? Has it always been the wine? Like it's always been them. So it's, it's always changed. been them. The but they created Miramax, and then Miramax was bought by Disney, mm-hmm. and that was like Disney's art house label. Yeah. And then something happened there. They were forced out, or they voluntarily left. But Disney got to keep the name Miramax. So then they just formed the Weinstein Company because <laughs> they weren't going to try. <laughs> to come up with a new name. The WC, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, let's before we get into the movie, let's review the scotch that yes. we're currently drinking. So I um, brought today, it was my turn this this month, so I got us a Black Scott Highland Blended Scotch Whiskey. It's a 12-year-old age, distilled, aged and blended in Scotland, and it has a picture of the Highlands, and it says... From the ancient highlands of Scotland. And then there's like a little castle looking thing, as, as you'd see often in Scotland. And let's see on the back. Uh, oh, we got a little story. I had to read the story. Um, Black Scott, as he uh, ruled Scotland from AD 962 until shortly after his victory at the Battle of Fores in AD 966, when he was murdered and his body buried under a nearby bridge. 
It was during his rule that the ancient lands of Moray appeared to have finally been brought under his control, securing for Scotland the region that today comprises much of the Highlands and Speyside, the heart of Scotch whiskey production from where the whiskies in our blends are sourced. So there you go. Murder brought us Quite this. Quite a story. Uh, last month we had the one with the boat on it. Yeah, Cuddy Sark. Yeah, and so now we're... Get into, you know... Scottish history. So from the sea to the highlands, it's, uh, we've traveled with our scotch now. It's, uh, I've never had this scotch before. It's it's quite good. It's also quite cheap. I said, what's the cheapest one you have that is still <laughs> of quality? And the guy at Specs was like, oh, you can never go wrong with black scotch. Because I was eyeing... The cheapest one they did have was Old Smuggler for $10, and it was in a giant plastic jug. So I think we can save that one for... For a future episode, do yes. Old Smuggler. I'm sure the story of Old Smuggler is just as good as Black Scott, but <laughs> I'm glad I went with the uh, actual. Like, I was impressed I could find a scotch that was like 12 year age that was not, you know, crazy expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that that would make it more expensive having it sit around for so long. I guess if it's just aged in like a sleeping bag or something, it just doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> not to say that this was, yes. but, you know, you can only guess why it's cheap. I don't know. Tastes fine to me. I like it. It's got like a. It's got that smoky taste. It does. Smoky taste, nice, like... It's smooth. Yeah, really pops on the tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good with the ice in here. It's kind of cold. Oh. It's kind of... It's got a little bit of a kick to it. It's not, I think it's not as smooth as the one last month. That one was, like, really yes. smooth. Like, that one was just, like, drinking water. But this one, it's got a little bit of a... Yeah. A little bit of strength to it. Hmm. Very good. Um... All right, so Wide Awake. So we watched this on DVD, so there was no trailers no. Uh, before it because DVDs tend to not do that sometimes. Sometimes they do. This one did not. Uh, the one thing, though, I guess I'll say is that we've had this DVD at Vulcan Video for four years now. It is rented zero times. Yes, we were the first people to rent <laughs> it. And we didn't pay for it, so it still hasn't made its money back. Uh, so I'm guessing uh, the Shyamalan... Uh, Fans haven't dug deep enough uh, quite yet, uh, but maybe now that they'll listen to this, they'll actually will make that two dollars back that we spent on the DVD. Um, so I guess I'll do the little plot uh, description since you did it last time. So Wide Awake is uh, another movie that takes place at a school, just like the one last month. Yep. But this, but this one we're actually getting into its younger kids. This is grade school, uh, and it's like it's about a kid named Josh who had a very uh, intense relationship with his grandfather, played by Robert, Robert Loja, Loja. Uh, which is weird because usually Robert Loja is in a movie like murdering somebody, and in this one he's just like playing football. And very like, kind, and sweet kind old grandpa. man. And, uh, and as, the movie, as the movie begins, you realize pretty quick that Grandpa has died. He is no longer around, and Joshua is, about to start the, is starting the fifth grade. And the movie is basically like a year in the life of this kid through this fifth grade. And it's not like public school. It's clearly like it's like a private Catholic school uh, where all the teachers are nuns and there's priests. And basically the movie is like him having this philosophical crisis of does God exist? How can I prove it? I want to make sure that my grandpa is in heaven and everything's cool because if it's, if it's not, then I'm going to be really depressed. And so it's him kind of, interacting with the other students and teachers and people around him just digging deep, just trying really hard to like basically prove uh, himself to have some sort of faith in like uh, God in the afterlife. Uh, and that's pretty much the movie. Um, you'd think uh, 
it being a Shyamalan film, it would get a little dark. And it kind of does at parts. It does a little, little, there's a little bit. It's like it kind of, for the most part, goes as like a family PG film. But then there's, <laughs> there's a dog sneezing at my feet. Uh, but then, but then it get, but like it does get a little, you know, a little weird. It gets a little dark at part at parts. Uh, not as dark as as praying with anger, which got like no. there, there's nobody sitting on fire getting set on fire. Yeah, in this movie. things got real <laughs> in praying with anger. So this one still kind of keeps it. I would almost say this movie is like a Christian Rushmore. Is kind of what it feels like. Yeah, and it came out very like around the Rushmore. I think it was ninety eight. Yes, also, it was. was it not? So even though this was made before Rushmore, it feels like the yeah like the religious version of that. When you say. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I didn't think of that when I was watching it, but I totally see it. It feels like uh, like the best Hallmark movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if like those Kirk Cameron movies actually were of any sort of quality at all, that would be this. Yeah, like it doesn't really pander, which is a big part of Christian movies or Christ exploitation <laughs> movies. Beliefs are challenged. Uh, and the... Uh, like quality of the film, the writing, the acting—it's like all—it's all pretty good. It's all—it's all acceptable. It's on the level, um, but at the same time, it, if you told me this was an M Night Shyamalan, I didn't know. Like I wouldn't believe you. Oh, like God, there's no. nothing. I mean, there's little things there. Like once you know, but it still doesn't really have a style. Like they're really—it's just sort of like a pretty basic. Like the way it's made, just like the film. If you just look at just Very the basic, bit uh, filmmaking, camera on whoever's talking. Yeah, there's not like it. It's so it's really crazy to think that the Sixth Sense was a year later, where he, he has his style, like kind of there that he stuck with, you know, till now still. So I don't know if that was just like getting a better cinematographer or having getting like a movie that was bigger budget, but like this one, just, this feels like a regular. Yeah, like it would be like no. It's like as directed as like Harriet the Spy or an Angus or any <laughs> yeah. like kind of mid nineties kids movie that is like whether the script is good or bad doesn't matter. Like the directing is kind of on a TV TV movie level. Yeah, like um, uh, last episode we said, you know, sh- from Praying with Anger, Shyamalan's career trajectory trajectory, we could see him directing episodes of like Touched by an Angel. <laughs> And this is like totally, yeah. <laughs> if you told me the director of Wide Awake directed like 15 episodes of Touched by an Angel, yeah, that makes sense. And it's not just the style, it's also because he's now got two movies under his belt that deal with faith pretty strongly. And sort of just like, yeah, like that's why another reason why you see him just kind of going off and yeah. doing a Touched by an Angel or some sort of religious path. Uh, what, what's interesting is that he doesn't make a movie as strongly religious after this ever again, but there's definitely that's in his movies. Oh yeah. It's kind of this totally. spirituality faith sort of uh, theme, which we'll touch on when we get into more of his uh, stuff later. So was he, was he raised Catholic? I don't believe so, but he, um, he was raised in like a sort of affluent Philadelphia suburb life. Like, as presented here. And I I want to say he did go to a Catholic school or at the very least like a private uh, prep school. Mm-hmm. And that's like where this comes from. So the movie feels like the first one personal in a way. Like it feels like it's, it's maybe something that he thought of or knew someone who thought of like when they were kids or something. 
because it doesn't feel like yeah. he's writing it for everybody. It just it still feels kind of like a like this is a story that is close to me sort of film. Yeah, it does. It does feel like someone that knows a lot about the Catholic school system. Having been through the Catholic school system, I there was a lot in there that was familiar to me. I thought it was pretty interesting how he again. I don't think it was intentional, but how a lot of the kids seem very neurotic and deeply disturbed <laughs> and I, you know and i definitely also being raised catholic and having to go uh, to catholic school occasionally uh that is a thing that you deal with when you're raised catholic is the guilt the catholic guilt and then also the neuroses that yeah. you know they go with that and it's one of the first things they teach you is the guilt <laughs> You definitely get that in the movie. You have like the kid. The kids talk like these sad, kind of like pontificating philosophers. Like they don't will talk the way kids would normally talk. Uh, it's a lot of just like let's skip and go to the bathroom, and then just talk about just like the universe and like what's the future <laughs> bring and like heaven and just like these kind of deep conversations. They're not talking about video games or you know and, like you know sports. They're just talking about like is there a god? What does this mean? And then you have like. Like all the kids just seem so damaged in this weird yeah, way. Yeah, his but, um, <laughs> he, he has a bully that doesn't really bully him all that much. But this kid just seemed like really unhinged. Mm-hmm. Like they they told a child actor to go over the top, and he really did. <laughs> but he's up like he said. You have the weird kid who always asks if uh, is today tomorrow. He's like, what is this weird, sad thing this kid's up to? And then you have the other kid who's like the zany one, but then he's real sad because he likes. There's a part where he steals a painting of the Pope and sits on a jungle gym, gym in the rain, like clutching his painting, looking all sad. And then you have the other kid who's the friend who's supposed to be the brave one, but then he's kind of upset and sad, and he's got this sad, you know, secret sad, disease yeah. of of uh, having seizures and what have you. And like everybody, like it's just, and then like. It got, it got, like I so I was raised Catholic and simultaneously and I think because of it a little bit but I'm also born with it I also had a bit intense OCD and sort of like this this movie also kind of has this weird ritualistic behavior that some of the kids have that was just like oh that's interesting I don't think this is intentional I don't think he's trying to make a comment on it but it is interesting like you have a part where the kid Josh buries his grandfather's like shirt in this yeah. sort of ceremony of like this is me accepting his death. And just sort of like, uh, there's a part where he's lets his lets his grandpa down during a sack race, and he just is so upset, like he won't even finish the race. He's just like on the cra- uh, ground, you know, just like paralyzed with de- depression that like he let his dying grandfather down by not winning the sack race. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that's like some weird Catholic guilt thing. I don't think Mormon kids get that depressed during <laughs> sack races. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the plot of the movie really starts when the Josh decides that he's gonna find that he's gonna find out a way to talk to God. He tries like th- a few different times, but the first plot involves uh, a cardinal that's visiting the school, and people say that this cardinal can talk to God, but he's just visiting the gr- the girls' school, so Josh has to cook up a scheme to sneak out of his school and into the girl's school to try and corner this cardinal. And the act, it works. And he, like the cardinal goes into the bathroom. So Josh follows him into the bathroom. (laughs) And then he sees the cardinal, like, is actually a very, like, sick man. 
sick old, very old. He's sick a very man. sick old man, and his face is kind of sweaty. He's very like pale, and another priest is there helping him, and it just like shatters what he was expecting. And that happens a few times in this movie where uh, through like non-verbal scenes, we see Josh's perception of someone be shattered. Like at the very beginning or in one of the early flashbacks when him and his grandfather are at church and the priest asks for uh, all the people that are sick or suffering ailments to come up and receive communion first. And his grandfather goes up first and that's how Josh finds out that his grandfather is sick. It's this purely silent moment. Then when he walks in on the Cardinal, being a sick old man. And then at the very end, when he discovers that his friend, Dave? I don't know. His friend, <laughs> who is like, yeah, the fun, adventurous, uh, confident type. Uh, he goes into his house and finds him like passed out because he has epilepsy and he had this epileptic seizure and that he was on the verge of dying when josh finds him and so and then it's after that that josh decides like well there can't be a god yeah but him sick like walking in and finding his friend at that exact moment changed his friend's belief because his friend didn't really believe in a god and then he gets josh then to like regain his faith even though he only lost it for, like, one scene. And then you also have throughout the movie these, like, quote-unquote comical moments of him trying out different religions and things being like, well, maybe I'll find God through meditating. So you have, like, these little dudes meditating. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to fast. I'm going to do some fasting, and that's going to make me... And what's really weird, I thought, maybe... I'm going to say it's bad writing, where you have these kids that are, like, so smart, they're on the level of, like, talking like philosophers... But Josh didn't know who Gandhi was. Because yeah. we talk about fast. He's like, I'm going to fast like this one dude did in India. And he's like, you mean Gandhi? Like, you don't know who Gandhi is? Like, come on. <laughs> like, you can't, like, have all these conversations, like, like an adult, be written as if you're an adult, but you don't know who Gandhi is. Like, I didn't buy that. Yeah, I, I, like, <laughs> I like that he would try different religions, but that wasn't really followed through on the movie a lot. Like there would just be a a scene of him saying like, Oh, he tried out Judaism. That could have been a big plot of the movie. What did he do in the movie to try? How did he do that? I remember. I don't remember. Don't remember. I remember him fasting. Oh no. He said he was going to light a menorah. Right. Did he say something like, I got to go home. I got to light the menorah candles. And then, uh, like, Rosie and Dad all goes, hmm? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it was just like he bought a menorah and was going to light some candles, I believe. There is kind of a twist to this movie. A, a, a very shocking twist. Yes. Because uh, the twist last uh, month was just that his, the, or the not twist, but the Shyamalan-y part was when the ghost of the dead shows up in silhouette and says, like, yeah. hey, dude. But this one was real shocking because it go actually goes into the level of fantastic, which no other part of this movie has get, did that. Yeah, and it really is in the last you know like ten minutes, it's five minutes in the movie. Yeah, like the last five minutes, it's the second to last <laughs> scene, I think. Uh, do you want to reveal the twist this month, and I'll do it next month? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so the whole time, uh, throughout the whole movie, there's this uh, little blonde boy in Josh's class that we just sort of see here and there. There's a scene where Josh and his friend 
they sneak into the classroom to try and change some answers on a test and they see the little boy and Josh shoes him away. But then like the nun, one of the nuns shows up. And then we had him, he was going to use an exit and sneak out, but then the boy pointed out it's an emergency exit and the kid, and so Josh was like, oh, thanks kid. And the whole time the kid's silent. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't because speak. there's a lot of pointing and staring. It's got a kind of like a, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like a, like a children of the damned thing going on. <laughs> yeah. uh, a little blonde boy. But. <laughs> yeah. But at the, so in the final scene, the class, his class is waiting in this odd waiting room for every student to get their uh, school photo taken. And then they're going to take the class photo together. And he sees a little blonde boy out in the hall. And it's like, oh, I'll go get him. The Rosie O'Donnell says like, Every, but everyone's here. And he goes out into the hall and talks to the boy. And the boy finally speaks. And uh, spoiler alert, the boy was God the whole time. It was God. Because it starts out where you think the way that the kid is talking, you think it's a ghost. And you're like, oh, is this a bad ghost? Yeah. And then you think, oh, maybe it's an angel. But like, no, it's God. Gus is chilling at the school, hanging out, you know, causing mischief. God is a eight-year-old blonde boy. <laughs> 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 and I thought that was pretty, sh- I was pretty shocked. I was like, what? That's crazy. Or that kid is just like a huge yuckster and like he just heard about this Josh's mission of trying to find out his <laughs> grandpa and he was just like, oh, this is how I'll fuck with him is I'll just tell him like, oh yeah, your grandpa's fine. By the way, I'm God. Yeah, he tells uh, <laughs> he tells Josh, you're really seeing me for the first time. Like he just speaks in kind of vague riddles and metaphors the way that God... As often, God would. As God yeah. often does. Yeah. And then the very like end of their conversation together he does tell josh like he's happy yeah he's fine how disappointing would have been if he's like oh yeah he didn't make it there he's in hell (laughs) yeah i'm sorry you don't know about the secret yeah poison milk he gave (laughs) this i was it was really weird that when that god reveal happens josh's response is not as big as mine as mine nor mine (laughs) because i think i think if any human being was like all of a sudden was met god they would have, be a little more excited. Like, this one, Josh was more like, oh, hmm, that makes sense. Cool. Well, that's great. You know, his reaction was kind of medium. Where you think it would have been like, what? It's God. And you think he would have ran around the school telling everybody, like, it's God. God's over here. I, my best friend is God. But he didn't do that. It was just a small thing. Yeah. That was, that was that's the, so I, I think let's count that as the first Shyamalan yes. twist. That's the first, the first true, real twist. That's the first real twist of like, what? So I wonder if he wrote that and was like, I like this. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going on this sort of thing. Give it a little zinger at the end of a story. But yeah, the God, I didn't, because I did not see that coming. I did not predict. I didn't see A truly effective twist. I really did not think that that, was, that kid was God. Because why would you? You wouldn't, no. Because there's nothing and else in the movie the like that. There's no other, like, moment of, of like, fantasy yeah, or, or, take... or heightened spirituality like that. There's never, like, a part. Yeah, it doesn't take uh, place in a world where, like, ghosts exist or, angels, or, like, walk around. angels or, like, signs from God happen. Do you think as a kid <clears throat> grew up that, like, he just got really sad because, like, no moment in his life was as great as the day he met God? <laughs> or do you think he kept in touch with God and like invited him to his like birthday party and was like, oh, I'm awesome. I'm friends with God. Hmm. He came to my birthday party. But like, but God disappears. Like, isn't a part where like and then he turns around and then, yeah, like, and then he's, he's gone. gone. So I'm thinking he didn't keep in touch 
Well, it's got to be frustrating to like live your life and just never see, like, know you saw God and then you, you don't get to see yeah. him again until you die. It's like, it must be like the equivalent of going to the moon. See, like Neil Armstrong is not wowed by any movie that he sees or, you know, any painting because he's like, I was at the moon. And everything after that was such a letdown. Nothing could be as great as that. So I think that I think poor Josh is doomed to have a tragic adult life because he peaked early by meeting God in fifth grade. So uh, you mentioned earlier this takes place in Philadelphia. That's interesting to note because most of the Shyamalan stuff after this will be kind of in and out of Philadelphia. Yes. That's his town. So this is the first true uh, Philadelphia Shyamalan movie, though you don't really get a feel for it at all because it mostly just takes place at the school. So there's never a part where they're really like in downtown Philadelphia or doing stuff in any landmark that you'd recognize. Yeah, there's no no B-roll shots of, of Philly. The fifth graders don't take a field trip to the Mutter Museum or anything like that. They're just, you know, in school or at home. But you'll get a whole lot of Philadelphia in the future of Shemla, so if you actually get, like, a feel for what it's like to be in the city. Tell me if I'm incorrect, but isn't this a re- Exit to Eden reunion? Because isn't Dana Delany and Rosie O'Donnell in Exit to Eden? I believe so. And was that also made in 95? Oh, you might be right. Yeah, so I wonder which was first, this one or the one where they both wear S&M gear and, you know, like do <laughs> spanking jokes for Gary Marshall. Oh. But yeah, I was like, it occurred to me by the end of the movie, I was like, wait a minute, they, they were both in Exit to Eden! They, uh, yeah, the, these movies had to be around the same time because in Roger Ebert's review of Wide Awake, he talks about how the, and he gave it like two stars, I think. Yeah. But the best thing he liked in it was Rosie O'Donnell, who yeah. he thought was very funny and very good. And it was such like a huge improvement for her. Over Exit over to Exit Eden. Maybe Exit Eden was 94 and this was made in 95. So like yeah. they both like off of Exit Eden, like, let's make this Christian kids film to make up. It was like community service for <laughs> yeah. Exit to Eden. Oh, yeah, Exit to Eden, is... a, a rare film. <laughs> it's out of print. Yeah. You can buy it for $200 off of Amazon. The S&M comedy uh, based on an Anne Rice novel starring Dan Aykroyd, Rosie O'Donnell, and Hector Elizondo. Yeah. That's who you want to see in an SNM. <laughs> you want to see in a sex comedy. And I was really disappointed that Dennis Leary's in his movie and he literally does nothing. He literally does nothing. Like, he doesn't do anything at all. Like he could have been played by Joe Schmo number 22 and it would have mattered. It really could have. Dennis Leary had more to do in The Sandlot, a movie where he only has like two scenes. See, I don't even remember. He, I didn't remember he was in The Sandlot. That's how little he's in that. Yeah, and he's in this movie less. Or he has less to do. And he's basically just like the dad. He's the Josh's dad. dad his so he's kind of crooked. You're like, hey, Josh, don't get to school on time. Hey, Josh, eat your dinner. And that's kind of like there's no, there's nothing Dennis Leary about it. There's nothing the character. I believe in a script in my mind must have just been called like dad, the dad. Yeah. Cause there's no character there. Like the parents in general, cause Dana De- Delaney too. I think that's how you say her name. They don't do much. You actually get more from Julia Stiles, his sister. Yes. This is like one of the, must one have been of first one movies. of the first things she did uh, is styles. And so she, you actually get to see more of because she goes to the female Catholic school on the other side of the one that Josh goes to. So there's like, interactions through the fence and like when he goes to meet the feeble old uh you know archbishop or whoever and like so you get some of her and that's and so this is also the first time shaman works with real like actors like name actors so we got move up a bit from the first movie with just starring him in unknowns 
to this one actually having yeah, people. Yeah, it's good. Like, you know, Robert Loggia, Rosie O'Donnell, Loja, like great, these are real um, people. Rosie O'Donnell, Kennedy yeah. Mannheim is a nun, and Dan Loria, uh, best known as the dad from The Wonder Years. Oh, yeah. Yes. Is the priest, and he only has one scene. He's he's really good as he's a always priest. Good. Like he was he was the way you like hope your priest would be. You know what's interesting? So Rosie Dennell's this movie and the dad from Wonder Years. Rosie Dennell's in the Flintstones movie, and I always thought the dad from the Wonder Years should have been the one who played Fred Flintstone, not huh. John Goodman. Because to me he looks and kind of talks like Fred Flintstone. Like he has that like caveman dad. Like, like, where, like, no matter how much he shaved with the cave rock, he will always have this <laughs> double kind of look, you know? So, yeah, the movie is fine. Like with the last movie, the soundtrack was miserable. Oh, it was just, like, heavy-handed, cutesy. This is supposed to be a nice movie music. There was too much. Like, it was, like, from, yeah. the, get, from the get-go, it was too much. That's, yeah, one of my first notes uh, was about how light and jaunty the score is. And from... Like, if you were watching this movie on the Hallmark Channel or the Family Channel, you would expect it to have that kind of score. But this is a Miramax film a Miramax with Rosie O'Donnell in it. film, yeah. And it has the same kind of garbage, like, feel this soundtrack. Like, I hate it. I hate that kind of music. It's like, yes. yeah, I get that it's delightful. I understand. Like, you don't need to, like, hit me over the head with it. And, like, it doesn't let up <laughs> from beginning to end. It's, like, overbearing like proud of itself cute soundtrack and it just makes those clever moments in the script all the more kind of embarrassing and cringeworthy like it would have been passable if it was a normal soundtrack but because you have the kid doing a little silly thing and then the music's like kid doing a silly thing music you're like oh god i get it yeah the kids the, the kids are precious like it's yeah. just, it was too much the choir teacher tells the class like oh maybe if we all sing together God will hear us. Cut to a close-up of Josh, who's singing like loud, like so loud and ecstatic because he wants because uh, he wants God to hear him. And it's like a really goofy, dumb gag that you would expect to see in a you know kind of light-hearted, like family, inoffensive family fair. Yeah. And the movie kind of jumps between those moments. Like, it has, like, these sort of, like, cutesy sort of family fair moments. And then you can tell Shyamalan, like, trying to do something a little better than that. Kind of back and forth. And I'm kind of, I'm glad that this is the last movie like this. That he got, and he got darker after this. <laughs> he got, got darker after this and got a little more serious. And was like, okay, if I'm going to be a real filmmaker, if, if I'm really idolizing like the Steven Spielbergs of the world. Like I can't just be the Steven Spielberg he does always. Like I'd be the Steven Spielberg who does all the other movies that Steven Spielberg did. And I don't like I want like I would imagine that at this point in his career he had already written Sixth Sense maybe. Right? Like if it's ninety five, like wasn't Sixth Sense a script that he shopped around for a while? It was a script he shopped around like I don't know for how long, but it was like to get out of his Miramax contract. Oh, so maybe he did this. It was shelved. He was like, "Oh man, fuck these guys!" Like I'm just gonna write, you know. That's basically it. Like he had to get my foot in the door somewhere else. Like he could get out of his Miramax contract if like someone else like outright bought his next movie, and he set pretty strict terms about it. I'm guessing they just got his movie because this movie because they were just collecting filmmakers in the nineties and being like, Oh, you made a movie, it was an indie thing, okay, like make work for Miramax because they were kind of like the go to indie 
you know, company. Yeah, they were, they were putting out everything. They were putting out movies from the young, up-and-coming indie filmmakers. They were importing films from foreign filmmakers. They were the pinnacle, the top indie art house and foreign fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you like this movie? I kind of did. Yeah. Like, right, I always like a movie slightly more immediately after I see it. That's why that's not a good time for me to review movies or to write about movies or to rate movies on Letterboxd. I thought um, it flew by for sure. Like, I wasn't bored. Oh, yeah, it was a trim, it, it like, 88 like, minutes, It like, kind of started and it was over. Parts were dopey, but, like, the kid, the kid actors are really good. And this is kind of the first time that Shyamalan works with kids, which is, you know, I think he's going to do a bunch more in the future. Yeah, like I said, it was, bree- it was breezy. It was a breezy film. I would say if I were, I definitely wish it had, I was hoping it would have more style. I felt it was kind of a step down from the first movie, because when you make your first movie, you're trying to prove something, and you make it a little more. Yeah, you throw in. Style. There were, uh, but this one just was a little, played it a little too safe, uh, I feel. Yeah, there weren't um, any memorable shot compositions or camera movements like there were in like there were in Praying with Anger. Not that those were amazing camera movements and shot compositions, but they were interesting to watch. And like, I made notes of them, and none of that happened here. Yeah, so it was breezy, maybe a little too breezy. Like I think. It just kind of, it's not a movie I'll ever watch again. Like, I'm never going to watch this movie again. No. Ever. <laughs> like, I'm never going to watch it. It was done in the two years. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw that movie. I remember part of it. I think maybe that's why nobody's rented it, because they can kind of tell when you look at it. You'll be like, that'll be fine. I don't, I'm okay. I don't need <laughs> to watch that movie. But, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to go from this to a uh, his big, big step, which is going to happen pretty yeah, that's going to be a dramatic shift in like tone and style. Yeah. Um, it's not a shift I would have seen coming in no. 1998. <laughs> if you like, I want to bet. Do you think there was someone who was like in 1997 or 98 was like, I love this M. Night Shyamalan guy. Like, his t- two movies he made are great. Like, I can't wait to see what he does next. <laughs> and then they get like really disappointed. When they see the Sixth Sense, like in 1999, <laughs> they're like, "I saw this guy. I was at a festival, this weird little festival in California. Saw this movie. I was like, this kid's got something.' And then I couldn't wait, and I waited forever for a second movie, and it was brilliant. It was like playing on that thing again with like faith and kids in school. And then he made this ghost shit, and I was, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, that would be the very first person to be disillusioned. By M. Night Shyamalan's well, everybody choices. Else. <laughs> that happened much later for everyone else. Most everyone. I, I just, I'm going I'm to say there's one guy, there's one person, one human <laughs> being who was very let down by the six senses. Like that's uh, the career that I was hoping. Like he was the one hoping for the Touched by an Angel episode, and was like, no, this guy steered in the wrong way. So if I were to rate this with the other movie that we saw, if I were to put him in order of best to least best, I think I still like. Pray with anger, pray with anger more, and then this one would be number two because pray with anger still was more personal. I think help being helped because Shyamalan's in it, and then it just I think because it was helped by being in India, was a more interesting locale than just like a school, and I don't know. I just felt it was like we had weirder parts. So it was just more memorable to have like 
old ass bullies and just like the, the weird ghost of the dead and just like more you know like in my mind i can actually think of like how that movie looked and how like you know like the certain weirder shots and and then this one is fine i have a feeling that this one's going to keep getting moved to the bottom for a while in my opinion you might be on to something there um oh gosh like i enjoyed this one more while i was watching it than i did praying with anger yeah. Though Praying with Anger, I suppose, is the more interesting film, if only because of the setting. Uh, so instead of just like, you know, average looking uh, white people dealing with, like, questioning their faith, it all happens in India, in, uh, you know, this, like, Americanized Indian guy. Who's a fish out of water? So there is more going on there, yeah. So, Character-wise, yeah. Story-wise, and yeah, it's his first film, so he's really trying to show off that he can write about themes and he knows what to do with the camera. Hmm. But would you? Where, 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 where do you put the movies? In what order? The two that we've seen, pretending we've never seen anything else by this man so far. I would. I would put Wide Awake on top of Brain with Anger. Really? Yeah. But why? I... Hmm. I suppose because... Well, I did, okay, so I enjoyed it more while I was watching it. Maybe that was because it was like a much tighter film. Shorter. Shorter movie. film. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe because <laughs> it was so... <laughs> It was so familiar. Like, it was something like, this is a movie that Catholic schools probably aren't aware of. But if they were, this is what they would show on, like, rainy Fridays when the kids can't go outside for recess. Yeah. And I feel like as a mo as that kind of a movie, as a movie about uh, a little boy questioning faith that doesn't really seek to challenge people's perceptions of Catholicism or God, not challenge them outright, but uh, just question them as a child would. Mm -hmm. I feel like it succeeds at that. Yeah. Even though, yeah, there's a lot of clunky dialogue scenes and like over the top dopey scenes. Rosie O'Donnell's, character is she's really into sports specifically baseball specifically baseball yeah. and she teaches through baseball metaphors but they're not good metaphors <laughs> it's as though like Shyamalan didn't know like he didn't really think this scene through where she was uh it's like okay like it's bottom of the eighth and the score is this and you're Jesus. Like, who do you send up? Do you send up Judas? No, of course not. And you're like, what does this metaphor it's even like, mean? What, is this, what does it mean? It's like, did they tell Rosie O'Donnell to just riff? The baseball thing does it definitely feels like something like... No, and then I thought... Good, yeah. Like, from the... Uh, and yeah, you can't you know judge a movie by its by its DVD cover, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a movie of this... The, kid, the, the cover is... The kid's standing on a bunch of books, 
kind of like leaning shoulder to shoulder with Rosie O'Donnell. I thought she was going to be more of like the person guiding him through his I thought so quest. too. And she but, was wearing a baseball cap and he has a glove. So I thought maybe she'll teach him baseball. But <laughs> you she, it was a baseball movie? Yeah, I thought maybe it would be a baseball movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> An Angels in the Outfield type. Yes, uh, another movie a about, a child, about a child <laughs> questioning the their faith with Dennis Leary. Wait, is Dennis Leary in that movie Dennis too? Leary's the dad who says, like, we'll be a family, yeah, maybe when the Angels win. Wait, so Dennis Leary was in that and in the sealups? He was just in 90s movies that featured baseball. Dennis Leary was in a lot of kids' movies <laughs> in the 90s. You know, like that makes sense. Operation Dumbo Drop. Oh, yeah. You remember that? The movie about Vietnam <laughs> for kids. <laughs> <laughs> it is not appropriate material for kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Rosie O'Donnell character is like definitely like the. She's supposed to be the fun teacher, and like she talks about baseball, and that's how it's fun. But what about the poor kid that like is bored by the Bible and hates baseball and thinks that's boring too? Like that's got to be the even worse uh, church <laughs> school class for him to just be like, oh god, like I thought this was bad enough. Now they're filtering it through the sport that I hate and like makes me go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I did like seeing Robert Loja play a very kind, sympathetic character. I kept waiting for him to like punch somebody because he's Robert Loja. He's gonna like snap like when like I thought it was gonna happen when the kid was losing a sack race, and I thought they, and they started announcing the winners, and Robert Loja was like, "Wait, my grandson hasn't finished." I thought he was just gonna like start wrecking things, start breaking things, freaking out. But he never did. He never, like, bites anybody's ear off or any, like, stabs anybody. Yeah. Just, like, the kindly grandfather. So, I gotta say, they do a pretty, not the best job of sinking in cement the like, and really securing the relationship between the kid and his grandfather. You never really get a feeling of why it was so strong and great. Like, it's just, like, these little moments of, like, oh, we played football when I was sick. He sat in the room with me. But you don't really get this intense relationship. Like his parents were at work all the time, or... And, you know? Yeah. And it, it never gets... Like, it never, like, I wish there's a little more of that, because I feel like then that would make it all the more stronger when he's, like, really depressed about the thing and wanting to find God, because it's just sort of, like, to, so far, just how the movie showed it was just, like, they just had a pretty, you know, normal grandfather-grandson relationship. It wasn't anything too intense. yeah. They went to church together. They played football. You know, that's kind of it. Like, there wasn't, like... Yeah, and it's never really explained too much. That like, oh, I was with him, like, most of the time and not my parents. Or it just seemed like... Yeah, because you really only see the... Like, you see a lot of the grandfather with him while he's dying and while he's figuring out that he's going to die. So you don't get, like, what the few years before that were like when it was, like, this great thing. Yeah, I wish there had been a scene about that like or just a simple line of dialogue like yeah josh i know what's tough that your parents are always at work <laughs> and uh, yeah and then you would be like oh like he right was raised by his grandfather yeah. and then he would uh, then he could recommend some orange juice to josh <laughs> the, uh, pulp or no pulp josh <laughs> the pulp is better for you yeah rubber loja who was the same age his entire career? Like, he was always about 65, 68 <laughs> years old. Like, it's, like, there was no such thing as a young Robert Loja. No, yeah, he looked the uh, same in the 90s as he did when he was, like, in The Sopranos. 
Yep. Hmm. He was Robert Loggia in Scarface. Yeah, and he yeah. looks the same. Yeah. And well, that is that it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did not have a, like a lot, a whole lot to say. I feel like that. To, yeah, this movie to me to was just sort of like. Movie. Like you know, run in the middle, it's okay. middle ground. Think it's fine. It's fine. Like it didn't have shockingly weird stuff like the first one, the movie we did last week, and it wasn't anything special. It was just sort of like a this is a movie, like a totally passable movie that would show on TV and you know, and show on TV. You would half watch it while you're like doing the dishes, and then you would forget <laughs> about it. Yeah, and you'd be like, yeah, what was that movie? Rosadonna was the baseball loving. Yeah, I don't a, remember some. I don't remember something like that. And he'd glance him back. Is that Robert Loja? Is that Dennis Leary? And he'd be like, okay. Yeah, it's a film <laughs> that you wouldn't bother. You wouldn't bother checking the credits for who was behind it. Definitely not. That's why it's very interesting that the next movie is like. His third movie will make it so people actually know who the filmmaker is, which is a rare thing. Yeah. Like very rarely does the like the mass public know the name of a filmmaker. I'd see a movie because of the filmmaker. It's usually because of the actors. So like he gets on the level in his next movie of like a John Carpenter of a Steven Spielberg of a Wes Craven. Yes. With one movie. Uh so that's pretty incredible. Um and we'll talk more about that next month. We will be doing the sixth sense next month. I'm excited. I haven't seen that since the theaters. I haven't. Uh, so I'm excited to see kind of what I think, what if I still, like, because I, I remember loving it, you know, night, you know, 17 years ago. <laughs> I saw it. I haven't seen that in a long time, maybe 16 years. Uh, yeah, I saw that maybe a few times in the theaters and a few times on video. And I have not seen it since. Like some of Shyamalan's other films, I've re revisited more recently, but I have not seen so uh, Sixth Sense hmm. in quite some time. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to go back yeah. through that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, uh, if you have any thoughts about this uh, podcast, uh, we do have. Um, uh, yeah, we are on Twitter now yeah. at at the M Night Shift. <laughs> Did anyone Twitter in last month? Since last month? No, <laughs> no. We uh, yes. come on, people. Our president has time to Twitter all the time. Our president elect. Why can't you? He's busy. He's a leader of the free world, and he tweets thirty million times a day. And you, the person who doesn't do much, and you're listening to a podcast. That's how much time you have. Send us a tweet to say, "Oh man, your podcast sucks," or "Oh, I love that movie too," or "Yeah, Robert Loja should have murdered somebody." Anything that you want to say. Put it, put it on there. God, that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we also have an email address, dmnightshift uh, at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts and comments there. Uh, we are officially on iTunes now. Yeah, uh, big time. And we're also on Stitcher Radio. Whoa. Uh, we don't show up yet in a Google search. If you type us in the Google, be sure to write the M Night Shift podcast. Otherwise, a bunch of links to uh, Nightline will come up. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that, and I don't know who at Google to call. I, they're monitoring my stuff all the time, so they should just know. It's just right? part of the conspiracy to to, to, to draw people into watching uh, Nightline to be worried about their information being hacked. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, if. Uh, 
if you are in the Austin area, uh, please come out to Vulcan Video, rent some movies. Spirit of the 90s is still alive and well. And also, uh, Vulcan Video hosts a lot of uh, screenings in the neighborhood. I believe we're doing a screening, a series all December long. And that will probably go into January. I think we'll just change the name of it. Yeah. But yeah, lots of fun stuff for you to check out. Yeah, and if you see us in person and know who we are, say, hey, I listened to your podcast. It was great, or it was the worst. But just so we know that you're out there somewhere, it will yes, warm our hearts. We, we will be trapped behind the counter, so we're very easy to find. <laughs> Either way, uh, we'll, we're going to keep doing this, whether you've listened to this or not. So we'll do it till it's done. Till it's done. He's till it's done. still making movies, so we'll see when we get caught up. Like we're if we're just if he can make a movie a month at that point, and then we're just like on the same page where every month he makes a movie. Yeah. We have a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I've been AJ Gonzalez. I'm Brian Connolly. All right, and tune in next month for the Sixth Sense. Yes. Shyamalan twist.